Joshua chapter 6. I'll just read a few verses, and uh, God's so good to us, man. I just think about where we were before we got saved, and, or where you were before you got right with God. And the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. I mean, it's just a hard way to live. I was talking to a believer here just a few minutes ago for church. I said, we can uh, make any choice we want, but you cannot choose the consequences. And that's unfortunate. I'm convinced that the, uh, the church, largely speaking, is not what it should be. It hasn't been like that, I think, for quite a while, especially in American Christianity. You can compare what we are to the book of Acts. We're far far cry different from what they were. And I believe that uh, if the church was what she should be, we would see God do what he can do. And so I think there's a great uh, responsibility on God's people to turn back to God. Joshua 6, 1. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. And you should compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once, thus shalt thou do six days. And the seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day you shall compass the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the tr- with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass when they make the long blast with the ram's horn, that when they hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight. Before him. And then, if you look at the last, or the second from last verse here in this chapter. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it came to pass. When the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And I'm going to preach you on the subject in a few minutes that I have. On this subject of destroying your enemy's walls. Destroying your enemy's walls. You pray with me and for me. Father, we thank you for what we've already heard and the worship that already has occurred. We thank you that we have a Bible. We have, Lord, a preserved copy of your word for us today. I thank you for the opportunity to preach to hungry people. We thank you, Lord, for these that are here today. If there's one here that does not know where they're going to go when they die, God, I pray they get saved. I pray that, Lord, they would turn to Christ before it's eternally too late. And, Lord, I pray for the believer today, the one that's looking at a a big wall, a problem. I pray, God, you'd help us to have the faith, taking the story that has been preserved for us and extracting the principles that are in this story, apply it to our lives today. Guide us and bless, Lord. Give us grace to receive which you want us to receive. Help us to leave here different than we came in today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Joshua chapter 6, if you're new to the Bible, this is a very um, pivotal time in Israel's history. This is where 
the children of Israel moving from the wilderness into the land of promise. They've been promised this land uh, centuries before what we're about to read happened. It was a promise that was made specifically to Abraham and then to his descendants. And so this is the land of promise. This is the land that floweth with milk and honey. Now, Jericho is the first city that is going to be conquered. And I just thought about this as we're applying this not only to the believer as we're facing walls. Those that were inside Jericho were under the judgment of God. And judgment was coming. They were going to be destroyed by God's people. On the outside of the wall, God's people, the Israelites, were looking at a situation that they've never been in before. In fact, in fact, if you look at this, they've already come through the Jordan River. What an incredible story that was on getting across the Jordan. They have followed God's commandments down to the T. Uh, they get over to Gilgal on the other side of Jordan. This is the time of the harvest, so the water was overflowing its banks. We had two and a half million Jewish people get across on dry ground and then get over to a city called Gilgal. And they had almost uh, sort of a revival there. They were circumcised. They were sanctified. They were getting ready, if you would, to go into Jericho, which is the first major city. So this is the first time that the Israelites had ever seen anything like this. The first walled city that these Israelites had, had ever seen was Jericho. Now, you think, put, the, put yourself in their, in their shoes there for a second. You know, it's one thing to read it in the past, but th- think about it, what they were going through. How are we going to do this? How are we going to get over these walls? And so Jericho, as you understand, was a huge, impossible obstacle for them. And that brings us up to this first point. If you look in verse number one, the Bible says, now Jericho was straightly shut up. And then it says this, because of the children of Israel. And so the people in Jericho with the, uh, with the, uh, with with uh, the understanding that God was already all over the Israelites and what God did with them in the wilderness, what they did to the two kings in the wilderness, coming across the Jordan River on dry ground, that doesn't happen. So they're, they brought all their military in, all of their personnel are inside the walls of Jericho. They're straightly shut up. Then it says this, and none went out and none came in. Okay, so what they're doing, based on verse number one, They're sort of getting ready for a siege. This would be a typical way that one nation will conquer another nation is sieging them. It was a typical military uh, procedure in these days. But the problem that the Israelites had is that the fortifications of of Jericho were massive. Uh, And and, and when you read of ancient cities, your mind automatically goes biblically to the city of Jericho because of the walls of Jericho. And so they did some excavation on the present city of Jericho, which is built over the ruins of the ancient Jericho. And what they found is that these walls were structured in three tiers. And so the wall started sort of with an earthen embankment at a 45 degree angle, uh, which ran from the ground level upward to an incline to a wall on the first tier, and that wall was about 12 to 15 foot high. And then from there, there was another tier of another wall that went 12 to 15 foot higher, and uh, finishing uh, with a 
top wall that was uh, approximately six to eight foot across, eight, uh, excuse me, 16 foot across, and it was 42 feet, approximately 42 feet high from the ground. And so there's, it's impossible. You're not going to get over this wall without a massive loss of life on the part of the Israelites. And so number one, as you look at this, Israel had an impossible problem. And I'm thinking to myself, how many people here this morning have impossible problems today? I mean, you can look through a lot of things in your life that you are just like, there's no way that this is going to get fixed naturally. No way. And you can think through perhaps a loved one that you prayed for for years. Their hardened heart is not yielded to Christ. They're, they're cursing God every day. Their lives are a reflection of the choices they've made. You continue to pray for them. But your prayers, if you would, are getting more and more empty because God is not answering. Can I just understand that there is impossible situations of people that are lost. Maybe it's a, a community of people you're praying for, a ministry that the Lord is uh, equipping you to do that you just totally feel inadequate to do. I mean, there's a laundry list of things that we look at as huge walls, and they're impossible. They're impossible walls. They're structures or things that are, that, are, that are against us. And it could be a besetting sin. It could be trouble that uh, you're having financially. It could be a battle that you're having internally. And I dare say that in a church this size, there are people right now that are battling with something that's going on inside. It's hurting them inside. And you'll find that these are no doubt realities in this present day. And I think we need to learn to look at a story like this and, and just uh, not pass it off as a Sunday school story. But this was an event that took place and a miracle that was performed in the eyes of two and a half million Jews as they looked at an impossible structure, an impossible defense crumbled to the ground before their very eyes. And I think we need to look, look at I think, at our own obstacles and look at things in our life and say with grace and with faith that, yes, it's impossible. Yes, it's not going to work. But with God, all things are possible. Amen. So number one, they had an impossible problem. And it's very interesting as you look at the next verse, they had an, an, an incredible promise made in verse number two. Watch what it says. And the Lord said unto Joshua, see, I have given into thine hand Jericho. Now we can stop right there. This is God speaking. The Lord saying this to Joshua. So watch this. We got an impossible problem, but we had an incredible promise being made. I've got this. It's okay. It's a promise that God is making to these Israelites as they're going against an impossible situation, God's given them an incredible promise. And ladies and gentlemen, Joshua and all the men of war stood looking at these walls. I no doubt could imagine them looking at this and trying to find comfort. How are we going to do this? What is the plan of action? And you'll find that God gives this promise to Joshua. It's going to be okay. I've given this city to you. I don't know about you. That'd be good news for me. Amen. And I think we face obstacles, whatever they are, whatever you're facing today, those obstacles, those walls, and they say that if you were to look at the walls of Jericho, only four stories tall, 
But the appearance on the three tiers of these walls going up would look approximately 10 stories high. And they were going to go over these walls. Wow. I don't know about you, we have some promises that God has given us today that we love. And the Bible talks about the promises of God as being precious promises. They're referred to as precious promises. And they're all through the Bible. And he promised us, and I'm going to cover this in a little bit more detail in the few minutes that we have today. But the uh, weapons that God has given us are powerful weapons. They're not carnal weapons. That's a promise from God. We've been given that promise. We've been given promises that God uh, will never leave us nor forsake us. That is a promise of God. Promise that God makes. We have a promise that our battles that we face and the trials that we face and the difficulties that we face, no matter how difficult they are, if you love God, if you're called according to his purposes, the Bible says that we know that all things work together for good. How about that? So no matter what it is, whether it's a cluster of headaches, whether it's a loss of a loved one, whether it's a financial disaster, God is able to take what we think is an impossible situation, a crumbling of plans around our hearts and life, and say, I'm going to make good out of this. That's a promise. We have a promise that we'll be able to withstand in the evil day. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians 6. And it's interesting as you look and start studying Ephesians chapter 6, you pop down to verse number 13 where it says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand. And that is an interesting word because it simply means to go unharmed. And it's interesting, as the 1828 definition, it means to remain undamaged. So in other words, if God's people do what God says, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it that you'll be able to withstand in the evil day. And I said a couple of weeks ago that there are things that you can face in the future that nothing in your past could have prepared you for. I mean, there's no life experience, there's no heartache, there's no uh, uh, reservoir of perhaps a, an instance that happened to prepare you for this, this just unbelievable heartache, but yet God says that evil day, I can make it to where you can go through that unharmed. Wow, that's a promise. That is an incredible promise. So can I say this? I can go through the promises of God. There's hundreds and there's thousands of them. But can we say this? That when we're facing impossible situations, we can go to the incredible promises of God and have faith that we can take what God has put by his grace in his hand before us. Wow. But number three, I'm going to just stop here. This is the third and final point, believe it or not. I just took five minutes for the first 45 minutes of sermon. But I got about 45 minutes in this one point here. So, real quick. Verse 3. And you shall compass the city, all you men of war, and go round about the city once, and thou shalt do six days. And the seven priests shall bear the ark, seven trumpets of ram's horns. We have one of those ram's horns laying in our house. And we try to hide it because the kids know how to play that thing. 
And it's a very distinct sound when you play a ram's horn, a real ram's horn from Israel. It's got a very distinct sound. These seven ram's horns that these seven priests were to carry with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they were to be in front of the two and a half million Jewish people that were going to be following behind the seven priests with the Ark of the Covenant with the ram's horns. You all with me so far? Very specific. It couldn't be six ram horns and it couldn't be six priests. It couldn't be five. It had to be seven. Are you with me? It's a very specific number. In verse number seven, it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast, it couldn't be a short blast, right? Long bl- How long was a long blast? I don't know. Until they ran out of air. <laughs> long blast with the ram's horns. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout. The wall of the city shall fall down flat. And the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. And so can you note here, While we look at this impossible problem and we have an incredible promise, watch this, we have an indestructible God that is going to go with them. He's given them instructions. This is what I want you to do. These are the specifics of how it's going to go. I'm going to order how I want this city taken. Follow the instructions. They tell us in the military, follow the instructions. All right, don't miss anything. Line upon line, precept upon precept, biblically speaking. So he says, watch this. So he is in absolute control of the battle. He is going to lead them as he has led them. And he's going to guarantee them victory. Just follow what I say. How about that? And so you'll find here that he is going to give them what they do not have the capability of doing themselves. Now. The whole message is really based on a promise that God even makes to us. Look, if you would, real quick in 2 Corinthians. I fear we should just turn here so you can see it. 2 Corinthians 10. Are you all here? All right. Thank you, Brother Dave. All right, Brother Dave is here. And Miss Susan. And the kids. All right. Stay with me. Almost finished. Second Corinthians, familiar passage, verse 4 and 5 of chapter 10. Look at verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not what? War after the flesh. The Christian life has always been compared to war. It is war. Uh, it's spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6 talks about that. We'll talk about that later. And so we're in, if you would, war. The apostle Paul told the uh, young Timothy, he says that thou mightest war a good warfare, fight the good fight. The Apostle Paul, he says, I have fought a good fight. Y'all with me? So the Christian life is a life, if you would, of war, spiritual war. And you'll find here that we not, we're in the flesh, but we do not war after the flesh. Then it goes on to say, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. In other words, you can't see them. It goes on to say, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, any military guy knows what a stronghold is. It's an area that's fortified. It's an area of strength. It's an area that the enemy has created a citadel of operation. They have, if you would, good supplies. There's going to be difficulty getting into this as Jericho in the time of harvest most likely had all the supplies that they needed. They had all the corn that they needed. They had a natural spring inside the city. They had really everything that they needed to withstand a very long siege. And so they really didn't have much to worry about. Yes, they were concerned about the children of Israel. Yes, they were fearful of what God could do to them through Israel. But for the most part, their defense, the city, the walls, were between them and death. And they felt 
for the most part, safe. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We're not trying to get over a wall. We're going to walk over these things. <laughs> They're not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of str- So what we have in Jericho chapter 6 is spiritually in Ephesians chapter 6, where we are battling war and we can have a weapon that will be able to tear down and rip down a stronghold from the enemy. So how to defeat the enemy's defenses, Ephesians chapter, uh, or excuse me, uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10 tells us that it's done through a weapon. A weapon. It says the weapons of our warfare. Then it says casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So, this is dealing with thoughts, people. This is dealing with ideas. He says, I have a weapon that's so powerful that it'll rip, it'll tear down a stronghold. Well, what kind of weapon is that? Well, I think we can say there's several spiritual weapons in the Bible. I remember Dennis Quarrel came in, and he says, you know, guys, and we were, we were going to go through... Uh, a 40-hour class on prayer. And I'm thinking to myself, three credit hours, 40 hours of prayer. I mean, how much? Oh, my. And he didn't even scratch the surface. And he preached for six hours, taught six hours a day for, for three weeks. And he said to me, guys, he said at the end of this, he says, you have access to one of the most powerful weapons in the universe. And we don't use it. One of the biggest weapons we have is prayer. When Scott raised his hand this morning, and he says, really, to God be the glory. He's back there in the back row uh, last hour. To God, he's looking up at the ceiling. To God be the glory. Two o'clock in the morning, praying for my daughter who's having one of those cluster headaches, suicide headaches again. And at Gabriella in intense pain last night. And at two o'clock in the morning after he finished praying, he looked up and said, Dad, I feel fine. Prayer. The word, listen, when we talk about prayer, we talk about something we don't know much about today. I'm talking about myself. Prayer is the entering into a conversation with the God of the universe. Talking to him. Coming to him. And we have a promise that he can hear our prayers. We have a promise that he wants to help us to pray. We have a promise that he is never going to leave us nor forsake us. And so when we go through those difficult times, dear refuge of my weary soul, come to God in prayer. That's a weapon. Prayer has always been a weapon. It's a weapon of warfare. Jay Baxter said this. Not Jennifer Baxter, but it's a. Jay Sidlow Baxter, she may have said this, but Jay Sidlow Baxter said this. Men may spur our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, but they are helpless against our prayers. A praying church is a church that God can use. Listen to this. Oh, prayer is a weapon. The word of God is a weapon. The word of God is a weapon. It's told that Ephesians 4.12 says it's, a, it's, a, it's a sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit. The Word of God is. I thought to myself as I think about the Word of God, Jesus illustrated this in Matthew chapter 4 when he answered 
Satan three different ways to three different ways that he attacked the Lord Jesus Christ. And he answered Satan with three different passages of Scripture. And in other words, he didn't just randomly quote the Bible. He actually attacked the attack through the word of God. Are you all with me today? In the military, again, going back to the military, we're talking about military. So in the military, any military guy knows that the guys that work the armory are a little different. How many military guys know that? You to, they're just, they're all a little different. They're just a little, I don't know, they have, they just, they just are different. And they're, they're, and I'm not mean in mean, a mean way, they're weird. They know every nomenclature that you can imagine, every, every kind of weapon. They know what is in that armory. They know what the law rocket is. They, oh, excuse me. They know what the, uh, the AR-15 was. They know what the M60 was, the saw uh, machine gun. They have they, they 50 calibers. They know the nomenclatures. They know, it, it's like Tom Ross, is sort of, so what he knows. And so, not weird in a way, but you go to Tom. Tom can give you how the bullet was made from a chemical compound to the casings. You talk about Tom with any question about chemistry, he'll give you a great, great answer. Incredible resource. Well, that's how these armory guys are. They know what's in the armory. The word of God, listen to this, it's a sword, but there are multiple swords in the sword. Jesus did not quote Genesis 1-1 when Satan tempted him with bread. To make these stones bread. He didn't quote Exodus 5, 1. Which he could have. He could have quoted those verses. But he chose to use a sword against a specific attack. Are you all with me today? Which begs the question, ladies and gentlemen, that the more we know God's word, the more we're prepared to use the sword that is necessary to attack the very specific way that we're being attacked. Are you all with me today? And so, as God's people, we have to be very careful that we know and we, can I say this way? Use God's word. Use it. So last time you used God's word, used it, quoted it, will you speak the truth? Get thee behind me, Satan. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of them. He spoke that. Powerful. Prayer is a weapon. The word of God is a weapon, lastly, and then we're going to go home. And I never thought about this till this week. But it's dearly, it's in, clearly in the Bible. I want you to go, if you would, real quickly to the book of James, quickly. James 4, James chapter 4. Oh, yeah. James 4. Watch this, man. James 4, verse 7. This is good stuff right here. James 4, 7. What's the first word? Okay. Submit yourselves unto who? Okay. Therefore, to God, resist the devil. Twofold. Watch this. Twofold. Submit to God, resist the devil. Twofold. And then the promise from that is this. And he, who's that? Satan will flee, or the devil will flee from you. Satan, the adversary, the murderer, he's going to flee from you. My question is, what's he running from? 
He's not running from me. He's not running from you. All you're doing, watch this, is you're submitting and you're resisting. And he's running. What threat is it to him when we submit and we resist? I don't know. Whatever it is, he's getting out of Dodge. He's, see, I can't stay around here. So I believe this, and I think it's a very provable point based on what you can read in the rest of the Bible, is that not only is the word of God a weapon, not only is prayer a weapon, can we just say it this way? Obedience is a weapon against Satan. Which goes to the point, they could not come to the walls of Jericho with six ram horns and six priests. They had to have seven ram's horns, seven priests, one ark as they had. And they had to follow those priests one time around Jericho on the first day, one time on the second day, all the way through to the sixth day. On the seventh day, walk seven times around Jericho, seven times quietly. And then one united voice They shout. And the walls came tumbling down. Now, that did not happen by accident, but by obedience. Ladies and gentlemen, watch this. I look at this. I'm like, man, we have problems. Oh, yeah, we have problems. But we have a wonderful promise. We have a wonderful God. That will never leave us nor forsake us. And ladies and gentlemen, Israel prevailed. And whatever you're facing, I don't care what it is, you also will prevail. Yes. They had a word from God. We have a word from God. They believed God. We can believe God. They acted in faith. We can act in faith. They did it God's way. Teenager, listen. They did it God's way. We can do it God's way. Teenager, I'm talking to you today because you're faced with a very crucial choice in your earliest stage of life when you're least prepared. You're having to make some of the most profound, long-term decisions in a time of life when you are least prepared to make them. That's why you only can do it God's way. You do it God's way, you'll be okay. You do it your way, as one of the songwriters says, I did it my way. You have to suffer. I don't know where that came from. Somewhere. There's files back there that just come up. But I'm saying that your way is the wrong way because typically the way that seemeth right unto a man, the end thereof are the ways of death. So God's people have a book. We have prayer. We have obedience. They had the ability to act in faith. We do. They did it God's way. We can do it God's way. And they gave him, God gave him the victory and God could give us the victory. It's that simple. So, I don't know what kind of walls you're facing today. I don't know what you're looking at today. It could be internal. It could be something you're struggling with in your own mind and heart. Strongholds find their way in our own minds. And this is the only thing right here that can take those down. Prayer and obedience. 
So I admonish you this morning, if you're saved, you ought to thank God for your salvation. You're facing a wall. You face it with the faith that God can give you to defeat it with God's word, with prayer, and with obedience. I was going to give you one more that just thought about it today is you think about just singing. How, how wonderful it is just to sing to the Lord. You ever have those times in your family where it's just you feel the presence of evil? And it's not one of the kids getting out of the wrong side of the bed. I mean, that could be. But it's just, no, it's just darkness. You know, one of the best things to do as a family, sit down and sing. Let's sing. Family, let's sit down and sing to the Lord. Satan doesn't like to hang around when God's people are singing. He just doesn't like it. It's uncomfortable. Why? Because God inhabits the praise of his people. He loves being with God's people who are singing. And so, ladies and gentlemen, what you're facing, I don't know, but God does. And you can come to him right now and watch what God can do in a marvelous way, what God can do in your life in this impossible wall that is before you. How to destroy the enemy's defenses.